Hello and welcome to another edition of the From the Clubhouse podcast. The sun is shining. Let me tell you, how many consecutive days of sunshine have we had? Five, six. The golf season is well and truly upon us. Uh, as ever, we're in association with TaylorMade and as ever, I'm joined by my co-host, Steve Carroll. Ready to drop bombs as always, Tom. Ready to drop bombs, like Kepka did at the weekend. Yeah, that, that, that was a cat amongst the pigeons moment, wasn't it? It was a bit. I uh, had a right chat about that with uh, Chivers on the um, on the slam on Monday. Uh thought it was brilliant, actually. thought fair, fair play to him. I'm sort of totally revisionist about my opinions of Kepka and live players in majors. Live and let live, I say. You haven't thought about that for too long, have you? Live and let live. I didn't actually think about that at all. Uh, it could be their new catchphrase. Yeah. Anyway, we're here. The golf season is upon us. We've got our little side bet about uh, supplementary scores. How are you getting on? I have submitted my first general play score at the weekend. Have you? I have, yes. And as a result, my handicap went up 0.4. And as a result, I now get an extra shot. Brilliant. Do, do you want me to talk about it in any detail? It was a very weird experience. Um, well, first of all, I want, I want to pick you up on your passive-aggressive correction of me saying supplementary scores, and you just updated my parlance to the modern phrase, which is general play scores, isn't it? I thought I did that in a very respectful way. Yeah, it's called passive-aggression, Steve. But you were uh, wrong. So your handicap's gone up. So what, at what point are you going to accept that your WHS index is actually reflective of your golfing ability as opposed to a moment in time, as you seem insistent on saying? When I've put 20 scores in under our new regime, which probably won't take that long, a couple of months. Um, oh, it, was, okay. it was a very odd experience, though, because I'm used to basically only having a score count in competition. That's only the, you, that's only the eight. Set the scene. Okay, so the scene. so so this is the eighth general player score I've put in in the entirety of WHS. I'm not exactly renowned for my GP scores, um, right. and I made it clear to my playing partners that I was going to be putting in a general player score and that I would require one of them to be a marker. And one of my playing partners that day was embarking on his handicap odyssey. So he was putting his first score in, and so it was easy actually to do at the end. Um, right, but it just was to stop, just to stop you there. So, just in terms of etiquette for this stuff, so it, because it is weird, right? So in in the old world, you'd have gone and played this game of golf. All right, your mate might have been putting in a score for his handicap, but you'd have just gone and played. In the new world, you're intending to submit a general play score. So, at what point did you introduce that to the group? Did you do that on WhatsApp? Did you tell them on the first tee? Did you do it over a bacon sandwich? Like, when did you drop that bombshell? I told them before the first tee, and there were three of us. Two of us put a card in and one didn't, but played along with us. And so each marked the other's card, if that makes sense. So we had a separate marker. Um, So was there any rolling of eyes when you said you were going to put in a supplementary score? No, no, not at all. General play score, Tom. Sorry. (laughs) Do you know what? On on Monday, I I habitually used uh, the incorrect pronunciation of bifurcation which i know is bifurcation but i can't stop myself doing it and i also interchanged oak hill with oakmont just liberally throughout so i think i might be going senile worst things happen at sea but so it was fine um 
it all went off almost as if it was a competition. The scores were all done. They were returned afterwards. But playing the round was just just weird. I had to, and and people are going to give me grief for this, and rightly so. Um, and I have to preface this by saying I tried in this round as hard as I could, and I tried as hard as I could, if as if it was a competition. But I, I think I parred the six, and I had the sudden realization that I was three under par through like six holes, my handicap. And then this kind of thought came into my head, and it was only there for like a tenth of a second. But this thought came into my head that with a trophy competition the following Saturday, I was about to destroy my handicap while playing a general play score, which was the worst thought I could have possibly had because I proceeded to treble the short par three, six, seventh, sorry, knifing my second out of bounds and then proceeded to four put the ninth. Two of the two of those putts coming from less than three feet on each occasion. Oh dear. Um, so if you're trying as hard as you can, well, actually, I'm going to go back a step. So when you say you treat it like a competition, so I like, did, yeah. did you get did you get an early night? Did you do things like clean your clubs? Did you wear your white belt? Did you sort your bag out? I did all of those things. I don't have a white belt though. I got to the course in time. I had a either either hit. I had a putt made sure I was warm. You know, I treated it like it was a competition round. And, and I understand that there are no such things now as competition rounds and golf rounds as far as handicap is concerned. It's just golf. Um, but it was definitely different in my head. And, and I definitely played the round differently than I would a social round. Um, and maybe because we're putting all of our scores in now, you and me, maybe that feeling of weirdness will ease the longer we go along, but it was it was definitely a bit strange. So, what was it like? What because it, it's not an awkward bit where the kind of result of the hole in whatever game you play in is kind of completed, but you're still faffing around, marking your ball over a two and a half footer, and looking at it from all the sides, and everyone else is kind of on the next tee because they're not really playing in this competition format that you're doing in your own brain. Yeah, so I didn't have that because. Obviously, uh, one of the players I was playing with was um, putting in a score for handicap purposes, so he was doing exactly the same as I was. And then, and this was to my detriment, actually. Um, I uh, introduced for the third player, who is our egg sandwich player, instead of match play, we played a stable foot format. Um, so he obviously was put. It was putting out as well. Um, he absolutely destroyed me. I've lost an egg sandwich for the first time. What? I know he mullered me. I need to go back to match play. Stroke play obviously helps him. Stableford obviously helps him and not me. Um, but anyway, yeah, everything was done properly. Uh, we made sure that by doing that format rather than match play, that every putt would count for him as well, if that makes sense. It does, yeah. Right, well, that's that's kind of one work round, I guess. Um, so I've played quite a lot of golf since last week. Uh, and I've sort of had in my head that I was going to honour this commitment we've made to one another to submit general play scores every time we play. Um, and I have to say, I've done a lot of kind of chewing over in my brain about that. Like you said last week that I sort of defined myself by my handicap and I was kind of very airily saying, oh yeah, yeah, those days are gone, whatever. Um, and I keep saying that I'd quite like to get myself up to four or five so I could um, be normal about my golf. But I mean, the reality is I don't want that to happen. So I've been practicing loads. Um, I think I've hit balls every day, actually, for the last two weeks. 
um, and I've played a lot of golf this weekend. So I played uh, Yellow Tea Stableford on Saturday afternoon. I played a match against Hoylake here at Oldley on Sunday afternoon. And I played my scratch knockout yesterday morning, very early. And then I played this morning at six o'clock before work. So I've done a ton of golf. But I haven't submitted any general play scores because it's been impossible to do so. Because you haven't had a marker or you've been playing unacceptable formats. Yeah, so, I mean, it's all been a bit of an eye-opener, to be honest. So I played the Yellow Team medal on Saturday and I played dreadful, shot like 83 or something. I had an eight at the second, so that didn't go very well. Um, was sort of actually fascinated to see what happened to my handicap because I'm about to lose three counting scores. It did, in fact, move 0.2 up, so I'm still off the same playing handicap, um, which I was surprised about because I sort of shot 82 or whatever, 83, and I lost, I think I lost a 68. So there's like a 15-shot differential, but I was only moved 0.2. Anyway, um, and then I was all set to play, to submit a, um, a general play score in this four-ball better ball against Hoylake on... Sunday afternoon, I'd said to my playing partners, right, I'm going to submit a general play score, do this podcast. And we said that we're going to submit one every time we play. And everyone was kind of like nodding away going, yeah, that's fine. Um, so I did the thing on the England Golf app to say, I intend to submit a score. And off I went. And I found it like intensely awkward because particularly in that format, like there's quite a few times where we'd either lost the hole or my partner had won the hole. Actually, my partner didn't win any holes we'd lost the hole um, and I was still sort of grinding away trying to knock three and four footers in. And on a couple of occasions, I was actually doing two putts after the hole had been concluded. Um, and obviously my playing partners often forgot what I was doing. So presumably just thought I was rude. Um, and it was, it made the whole thing really difficult because they were kind of off the next tee. The hole was concluded. I was still grinding away. Um, anyway, then the app crashed and then we got in. Um, and I'd already asked my the other member playing if he would attest my score. Uh, and then I think I WhatsApped you and said, we can't submit a score in match play anyway. So I haven't submitted it. So then I had to do that thing where you have to write on the app why you haven't submitted your score. Um, and they send you, you get, I don't know if you've ever had this, but you get a message that says, if you don't submit your score between before this date, then we'll automatically give you a penalty score, which I presume is like 99 or something, is it? Um, so I've written back saying that I was... I'd mistakenly thought I could submit a score in a match play competition, but I was subsequently told that I can't, so I'm not submitting. So who knows what will happen now, Steve? Um, what will happen now is that explanation will be fine. Because will it? It, Yeah, because it's a correct one. You can't submit. A match play and four ball, better ball are not acceptable formats. It's quite easy if you think about why. Well, I mean, I think I've just explained why the two things are like totally incompatible. Well, there are, in there, terms of... there are some other reasons as well. I mean, there's two that spring to mind. Um, one, in four ball, better ball, you don't have to pull out necessarily. Just one of the two of you has to hole out. Um, so you don't have to both hole out. Um, and secondly, in that format and in match play as well, actually, your playing partner can assist you within the rules of that format, can't they? Got you. Got you. Well, I certainly wasn't getting any advice on Sunday, but point taken. Um, so that I mean that is interesting. Like, and so then just to sort of complete the story, then I played my second round of our scratch knockout on Tuesday morning, 
don't mind admitting that I lost. Uh, I played against our friend and colleague, Jonathan Taylor, who is off a index of four, I think, to my plus one. Play all my golf with him, so it's a total nightmare that I lost. Uh, but my golf's been a shambles, and I think I perhaps have been sort of working up towards this game, thinking I might lose, so I better try and get my game in shape. And I did, uh, and we actually had a really good game. JT had the absolute game of his life. He beat me on the 17th, whereupon he'd had 16 pars and one bogey. Uh, and I played pretty nicely until I made two or three like pretty stupid mistakes uh, in the middle of the back nine, which kind of handed it to him, um, including three-point in the 17th. Um, but it was funny because I didn't really mind losing because my golf is definitely showing signs of progress and he had played exceptionally well um, and it was like a really good fun game. But again, just in terms of the context of the general play thing, there was no opportunity to submit our scores. Like, And he particularly would have loved to have submitted that score because he had, he had literally had the game of his life. I mean, I, I couldn't tell you with my hand on my heart whether he holed out on every hole or not. Um, but he, he certainly played well and I think in the conditions we were playing that both of us would have been happy to say before we sent out, went out, let's submit a score because um, it was beautiful morning. There was no one on the golf course. We obviously both pretty keyed in because it was a knockout. Um, but again, it seems that you can't do that under the, the current rules of WHS. So what I'm getting round to saying, I think is that it's quite a strange thing, isn't it? Where, I'm now sort of experiencing this live where we've got this system which kind of relies, is probably too big a word, but it's kind of designed that you're submitting lots of scores. We've said this before, it's based on the American system. We play a lot of match play golf in this country either. So this weekend, my, my yellow tee comp this weekend is a four ball, better ball. So that's another weekly game of golf gone by the wayside where I can't submit a score. We play a lot of match play golf, be it in friendly four balls or um, formal four ball competitions or knockout competitions so there's an awful lot of rounds of golf played by average club members that aren't eligible for a system which is supposed to be encouraging you to submit as many scores as possible and i'm saying i'm saying that's anomalous and i thought that before and now i really think it because i'm now not suffering from it obviously but now i'm experiencing it but then if you try to use the american solution to this um which is most likely score there'd be uproar well, yeah. I mean, I, dis I did discuss this with the people on Sunday. I said, I'm really sorry about grinding away, trying to knock in three footers. And we kind of went through the whole thing, talked about the American stuff. But I mean, it just doesn't feel right because it's whatever you're doing like, is a best guess, isn't it? Like, So in the American score, for example, in my m match on Tuesday morning, I could have given myself two putts from 30 feet or whatever it was. And in fact, I three-putted it. So it's 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 not right, is it? I mean, it feel it feels like it needs a tweak, because it, at the moment I think the two the, the system and the implementation of the system still feel at odds with each other to me. In that I'm being asked to submit loads of scores, I've got appetite to do that, but there's just not enough rounds of golf in my life that I can fulfil my match play commitments and submit these scores. Although my match play commitments are now somewhat diminished after early exits from three of my four competitions. I mean, I, mean, I, w I will say that I, I can't ever see a time in the UK and Ireland where most likely score becomes a thing. I just don't think golf clubs would accept it. I know it's anomalous with um, 
it's not the right word. I know it's I know it's well used in the United States. I know it's the way that they do their golf, but I mean it's also a fact that a lot of United States golf is more match play, better ball. It's not obsession with stroke play medal as it is in the UK. That's a generalization I know before people start atting me, but it is the general principle. That's why expected uh, most likely score is there because of the formats they play. Otherwise, how would they ever get a handicap, I suppose? Um, but I, I cannot see a situation in, in the UK where most likely score becomes a thing. And that, then then that presents a challenge then to um, things like match play or better ball ever counting. Yeah. I mean, I would be, I'd be very interested to know what listeners and readers think. Um we get a lot of feedback about this podcast. If you are listening on Apple or uh, Android or Google uh, App Store, then please do give us a, a subscribe. But we're like massively interested in your views on this topic. Like you're out there playing golf week in, week out. Are you submitting scores? Aren't you submitting scores? What do you think the right solution is? Um, we sort of welcome that feedback. On the subject of rules, Steve, I suffered at the, at the hands of the Blooming Martinis rules on Saturday. Did I tell you this? We should explain the martini, which is our office eclectic, where um, you put your best 18 holes of scores in from anywhere that you've played golf, anywhere in the world, in fact. But there are some limitations to our martinis. You can't just can't just roll up to a pitch and putt and start making birdies and putting twos on your card. There are some restrictions. We have a minimum length of course, for example, which is where I suspect you've fallen foul. Uh, well, the thing is called the martini because it's supposed to be anytime, any place, anywhere. See 1980s advertising slogan. Uh, and so that to me means that you should be able to play anytime, any place, anywhere. I don't know how possibly inferring that from that strap line. Um, but Dan, for some reason, has put all these blooming nannying rules in that says there's a minimum length course. So I went off in dutiful father mode playing golf with my eight year old on Saturday at White Ridge's 12 holer. Uh, had three twos, scurried back, checked the martini rules, doesn't count. Ridiculous. What was the length of said holes? I don't know, like 120 yards. Like just like sometimes you play 120 yards on a normal golf course, don't you? Anyway, just sort of the fun police have ruined it again. Um, I'll tell you what else I've been doing. I've been playing golf quite a lot, quite early in the morning to try and fit this stuff in. Um, so I played my knockout yesterday morning at about eight, and I played this morning um, 12 holes with the manager here at six o'clock. So we're kind of first out. Um, so I've been bumping into a lot of greenkeepers. It's quite problematic, isn't it, the whole greenkeeper etiquette thing? So quite it, a few times. It's not. Green- it's, it's not. It's not problematic, Tom. But I'll, I'll let you. I'll let you state your case, and then I will rule definitively on it. So who? So who has right of way? Like officially, who has right of way? The, the greenkeepers, and if they don't have right of way, they should have right of way in all circumstances. Because of what golf wokery? Well, no, it's because it's general it, human it, kindness. No, it's because it's health and safety. It's dangerous otherwise. And, and I have seen this. I have seen, I've witnessed golfers hitting over the head of greenkeepers and said to them, what on earth are you doing? Um, and I've seen pictures 
of greenkeepers who have been injured by golfers not giving them priority on the course and then ending up with a big lump on their head. If the greenkeeper is doing some work, they have the priority. And when that work is either done or they find an acceptable point to move to the side and allow you to play, then that's the correct that's the correct way to do it. People shanking their golf balls while the greenkeepers are raking the bunkers. It's just it's just outrageous. Just stop it. So what do you do? So how? So just to um, try, try and debate that then. So on a busy golf course where everyone's moaning about the pace of play and like can't agree in front and get on with it and blah blah blah, and you've got a greenkeeper who's out who's just started mowing a green, he's taking the flag out, and you're leaning on your seven iron in the middle of the fairway. Are you saying you're expected to wait until that person's finished mowing the green? Well, yeah. So why why is the rule not that the greenkeeper should keep an eye out for a golfer come in and then get out of the way? I mean, with all due respect, how many greenkeepers do you see mowing greens at like ten o'clock on a competition day? They're well, out. This, they're out very early for a reason. Well, this was an interesting thing, Steve. I'm glad you raised it because I played on Tuesday morning, so we were concluding our round at I don't know eleven o'clock or something, and there were still hundreds of greenkeepers on the golf course because it's ladies' day, isn't it? So I thought that was also an interesting thing. I I, I just think it's really, really straightforward. Um, greenkeepers have the priority at all times. Um, and and I think greenkeepers are pretty fair-minded about this as well. They understand that golfers want to play. I haven't met many that will just basically not try and get you through as quickly as possible because remember it's not it's not just a quote hassle for you it's a hassle for them as well um but there but there are things that you can do i mean for example at, 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 i don't know what they do at strensel so i can't i can't talk about york but at sandburn which is a club i was at before you couldn't play the back nine before a certain time um so the greenkeepers would come in obviously very early in the morning they would go around the front nine of the course um, Sandburn's got two loops of nine, so the tenth tee is right by the clubhouse as well. Um, so the so golfers were banned from going off the third, off the tenth tee until a certain time in the morning to give the greenkeepers the opportunity to do their work on the bat nine, or at least start their work on the bat nine and get ahead of golfers. And that there are there are easy things that can do. It's just a matter of common sense, I think. Don't hit the ball over the head of a greenkeeper while they're working on a green, or or, or while they're doing some mowing. It's very it straightforward. Be- it must be so annoying that you're in your place of work and you've got people whacking golf balls at you. And, and, and I, I swear to you that 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 is that that is not me. Um, that is not me. Sort of um, bringing an example, exaggerating an example for the sake of this podcast. I have witnessed golfers and stood and chastised them afterwards after they just after a greenkeeper's been working in a bunker and they've just gone and hit the ball over their head and we're like, what on earth are you doing? I always but when, think you were in doing that. I thought you were inventing that thing about trolleys running away last week, but you don't do it because then as soon as you said it, that I saw it happen. So hopefully this won't come to pass again. There won't be greenkeepers getting bounced on next time I play golf. It's just, yeah. Um, I'm sorry to have killed the debate slightly by ruling authoritatively on it. No, it comes up, it comes up quite a lot because I've, I've got some topics for us to discuss later that have been the sort of result of a survey. And that was actually one of the things that sort of came up. And I, apparently it happens quite frequently where members complain about greenkeepers getting in the way at various places. Uh, I do find it a bit hard to believe um, they are just trying to do their job 
and health and safety and just general human kindness ought to come first, right? I mean, like, what, what's the alternative that we start like equipping greenkeepers with high vis and hard hats? I mean, th- th- there would be an argument for that sort of thing. Yeah. Anyway, the other thing about the dawn chorus is, what do you do? What do you do when there's a sprinkler on? How do you mean? It's quite hard. You end up in some sort of very strange merry dance where, if you've got like a green side sprinkler and you need to go and do your putting, you've kind of got like a finite amount of time. It's a bit like. Um, the wheel. Did you ever watch that game show? Where it's sort of spinning round and eventually it kind of gets you. So you've got to, for some reason, you feel very under pressure to get your golf done a bit quicker. You're going to ask me a convoluted question now about whether you can get relief from an, uh, from a sprinkler. The answer is I'll have to look it up. I'm not actually. And that, but that is very, I love that. So I've told Steve I've got a rules question for him and he's obviously paranoid about it coming because he's worried about not knowing the answer, but that's not it. I, I didn't. I didn't know the answer to that. I suspect it's just get on with it. Um, Brilliant. Brilliant. So last week we talked about um, golf's room one hundred and one, which I thought was a pretty funny debate actually. Although I did, one of the things I found funny about it was your how hard it is to make you be glib about anything. I am quite serious when it comes to golf. I, I listened to it. I listened to it back, and at one point you sort of said, "Look, I know this is supposed to be a joke, but honestly." Well, I mean, you did tr- you you did try and get Parkland Golf into Room One Hundred and One. I've had quite a lot of feedback about that from I, various I, people. I mean, I mean, you're very lucky that I didn't put that in the piece that we wrote about Room One Hundred and One afterwards. Otherwise, I think you'd have been subject to far more abuse. <laughs> I've just joined uh, uh, White, which I guess is a Parkland, isn't it? How many golf courses have you? You've got more memberships than I've had now. No, I haven't. So. I mean, shout out to Leeds Golf Centre. It's always winning awards for um, Club of the Year. It's like a brilliant facility in this area. It's like unique in the sense that it's got you know limited dress code. It's got an amazing cafe bar, brilliant driving range. Got a 12-hole golf course for kids, which has got loads of sets of tees. So there's holes that are like six, 70 yards long. They've got frisbee golf, whatever it's called. You can get your car washed there, which is massively in its to its credit. Um, anyway, yeah, so we've joined. I've joined my kids and me um, to try and, play a bit with them properly this summer so it'll be, it'll be good uh anyway i thought the the um, the groom the room the groom the room 101 golf thing last week i thought was good and i saw that um secret club pro popped up on twitter didn't he by telling me he he, he would take him two weeks um yeah. to get through he's i i i, I know that i i enjoy that account i actually i enjoy that account it's like one of my it's not it's not a guilty pleasure but you know what i mean well, so I, I enjoy it as well. Uh, there used to be a, there used to be another one, didn't there, about golf club wankers? Well, that sort of went away, didn't it? He sort of morphed into kind of a golfing do-gooder, which was a very strange thing to watch happen. Uh, but that uh, secret club pro is funny. Uh, we should try and get him on. Do we know who he is? I do not. Um, I could DM him. We should do that. That'd be quite amusing. But then, anyway, you know, is, is it going to be like club pro guy? Is it, are we going to have to sort of like mask the voice? <laughs> like the guy in America, you mean? Yeah, yeah, exactly. That'd be brilliant. Anyway, we got me to. I'm at the golf club today. Um, I don't. I've sort of gone native. It's like method acting, isn't it? So I'm in the in the meeting room at Woodley, which is a pretty pleasant place to be. It's sort of views over the first and eighteenth. People bring you coffee. It's pretty ideal. 
I know it got me to thinking that maybe actually this podcast should just be, um, we should just constantly have guests on from our respective golf clubs and that's what it should be. And it should just become like a sort of, um, a kind of sitcom fly on the wall office type documentary about golf club life. Uh, in the absence of flushing out that idea in full, uh, the secret club play thing made me think maybe I should, uh, message a few pros that I know and ask them about the stupidest thing they've ever been asked as a club pro. Uh, anyway, I'm glad I did because it was pretty funny. So the, the, I've kind of got a mixture of stuff between like daft requests and just kind of more like overheard in the pro shop, like things that all people say that they kind of roll their eyes at. What what have you got for me? If you were guessing, what do you think the top, the top three of these are? Um, well, I mean, I'm pre- I'm prepared to put some money on um, the course is absolutely flooded and people asking when the course will be open. That's got to be in there, isn't it? It's an abs- it is an absolute jaffer, isn't it? Like, I used to work in a pro shop at uh, Shea Grange in um, Shipley in Bradford and people would legitimately ring up and say, what's the weather for? What's the weather going to be like for tomorrow? It's like, I've got ex- access to exactly the same information you have mate and actually during covid when uh people were sort of panicking about um whether our top 100 tour was going to be on people would ring up and say to me what's happening with virus it's like i have no idea what is happening with the virus i have literally <laughs> the same amount of idea about the virus as you have uh so yes that did come up um they say it particularly happens when it's there's two feet of snow on the golf course and people ring up and say will the course be open tomorrow well, I mean, I think we're and we're rightly, I think we are rightly, um, a bit more circumspect about when we play golf. I mean, I'm going back. I can definitely remember playing golf in snow. I have definitely played golf in so much ice that the ball has bounced down the fairway um, for like 400 yards. Um, so I definitely think we are, and rightly so, we are a bit more circumspect about what we subject our turf to. Um, but even so, I mean, like, look out the window. If if the, if your road's flooded outside, then you're not playing golf, and you're probably not playing golf for a while. So just get over it. I mean, I agree about we are a bit more circumspect, perhaps. But you can't play golf in snow. It's not possible. Like, if you think you can, I'd, I'd love you to explain to me how. As I get older, I think that my memories merge. Um, and some things that I think are absolute facts have turned out to be not facts. I have this, just off topic, I have this, like, I'm a Middlesbrough football fan. I have this absolutely solid memory of being away at Sheffield United in 1998 and Gascoigne absolutely running the show there. Um, And then I learned, to my horror, about two weeks ago that Middlesbrough actually lost that game 1-0, and I'd been in the crowd. (laughs) And And yet I've held this memory for a quarter of a century that... We dominated that game, won it, and Gascoigne was supreme. And the point I'm getting to there is your memories are unreliable, aren't they, the further away you get from something. So it may be that I've never played in snow, but I definitely have this idea in my mind of sort of a light dusting and getting out there with an orange ball. I've definitely Wait, played in ice. Are you telling me that Gazza played for Middlesbrough? He did, yeah. What? He did play for Middlesbrough, yeah, for two years. Before, after, before Newcastle? Oh, after. Um, oh, jo- sorry, the end of his career. Yeah, 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 he, yeah, he, he, yeah. He, he joined us from Rangers. So he did, around the sort of Emerson and uh, Georginia, whatever he was called. Just after, um, around the around the Merson time. Right. 
so subjective, isn't it? Um, there's a Sky Blue team that uh, fulfilled all their dreams last week, wasn't there? Let's move on. It wasn't just Manchester City. <laughs> let's let's move on. <laughs> you are right though about this sort of uh, the kind of rose tinted test- uh, testicles, rose tinted testicles, rose tinted spectacles, <laughs> rose tinted testicles. I mean, that's a different story, isn't it? We've all suffered with that lately. The uh, yeah. <laughs> It literally never rained, did it, when you were a kid? We all sort of remember about sunny days. Like I, I think that's why I'm buzzing so much at the moment about golf, because it just feels like it's sunny constantly, uh, sort of how life should be. Anyway, so other than rose-tinted testicles, that is the, the weather at the golf course thing is definitely loads of pros have said that to me. I've got a couple, I've got a couple of absolute jaffers from the same person, which is to do with the daftest things they've ever been asked. So I mean, I, I think that one of them will be um, someone who's had a piece of equipment for a long, long time, who then tries to return it, only to be told you didn't buy it here for a start, and it's about twelve years old. Well, <laughs> not quite, but I've got a couple of like very similar uh, equipment ones. So one of the pros that I know said that they once had a member who bought a, pa- a bag of plastic teas. Um, they broke a couple on the way round, so they brought the plastic tees back in. So I'd like to return these, please, because I think they must be faulty because they snap too easily. Uh, which I just think is, is brilliant on lots of levels. Like, I, I mean, I don't know how much a bag of plastic tees is—maybe two quid, a bit more, I think. Don't it's use them anyway. Not good for the environment. No, we got into that as well. Plastic water bottles. I dismissed that though as a pod topic because like sustainability is one of those topics everyone pretends to be interested in, unfortunately, for the environment and the future of our children. Um, so yeah, we did talk about that a little bit about that. Um, the other one that's to do with equipment is that um, a pro that I know said he was once giving a beginner a series of lessons. So they'd been three or four times um, playing right-handed and practicing quite hard in between, not getting on very well. And then they'd also, at the same time, decided to give tennis a go and played that left-handed, and that had gone pretty well. So then in his, in his fifth lesson, he turned up with a set of left-handed clubs to see if that would be any better. Which, I mean, is that logical or not? I don't know. It just, it just seems unbelievable to me. I don't, I don't think it is logical. Um, like if, you can't, if you can't decide which, literally which way round you are, I, I think you might as well not bother. I get, I get this question a lot because um, I'm left-handed. Um, but I play golf right-handed. I play golf naturally right-handed. Um, I've tried to pick up. Uh, I think that's. I think that's debatable, Steve. To be well, if you if you looked at my if you looked at my handicap record, then yeah, probably. Um, but um, I, yeah, I play um, naturally the other way around, and people are often saying to me when they see me doing other things, like so. Um, an example of this: someone on Twitter saw that I'd been basically doing a. Doing some clear pigeon shooting at a venue, and I was obviously doing it left-handed. But clearly, I didn't know this, but I clearly hold a shotgun in my left hand. Interesting point for future reference. Um, and they say, "Do you always do things the wrong way around?" And the, the answer is, "Yeah." I kind of feel that shotgun thing's going to come up, at, you know, when there's a murder committed or something. I feel like there might be some sort of Columbo moment. 
It couldn't have been Steve because he always holds a shotgun in his left hand. <laughs> that was the kind of tone you delivered it in, though. It was kind of like you were kind of like you were kind of pre, you were kind of pre alibying yourself for some sort of plan you've got. Anyway, no, no plan. Gone. And what else? What else have you got for me? What else do you uh. think? It's overheard in the pro shop. There used to be a Twitter account, didn't they? Overheard in Waitrose. I mean, bartering's got to be a thing, hasn't it? Can you just Haggling give me for cost? Can you just give me fifty quid off this pro? Well, no, but John Green was the person who raised the plastic water bottle thing. He kind of got out a branded or woodly kind of metal water bottle, and he said, "There's often a debate about whether we should be playing, replacing these with these." And I said, "But there's no." margin in tap water is there John and he sort of shrugged his shoulders and went back to his back <laughs> so I think that uh, yeah I think the price of things is probably a hot topic in pro shops I'd agree with you but that didn't that didn't directly come up um, a, couple of, a couple of other good ones that I quite like which I think are uh, in that overheard in the pro shop sort of camp are members who try and design the golf course so I think this is a massive thing. Why? Why? Why is golf full of these people? We're all, and we're all as bad as each other. Like I'm counting myself in this. It's not just mem- it's not just people who try and design the golf course. It's also people who try and give their friends lessons. Right? How? Why? Why do we do that? It's not like in any. You wouldn't do it with anything else, would you? Like if you were, if you were trying to build an extension on your house, you wouldn't try and design it yourself. You would get an architect. This is one of the few occasions I'm quite, um, apart from when I'm playing absolutely rubbish and I get cross with myself, I'm quite an even-tempered person, I think, um, generally on the golf course. Um, but the, the one time I really did get cross with someone is when they tried to give me unsolicited advice and they were off quite a high handicap. And I did snap back saying, when your handicap is as low as mine, then you start telling me how to play golf. Um, not Ooh. one of not one of my finer moments, I must confess. Oh, it's punchy, Steve. Yeah. Is that a like sandwich man? No, no. This is this is years and years ago now, uh, in a completely different time and a completely different club. I find it like very peculiar. Like it happens all the time where people will say, oh, "I think we should put a bunker here." Like, the worst one is when people say, "Let's put ponds in." Like there's that. That's the sort of QI alarm, isn't it? For well, Golf well, club member, our golf design is that they always say, oh, "What we really need is that where that water gathers by the seventh green." What we should do is we should put a pond in. Really? Well, I mean, this is not just uh, this is not just fantasy. I mean, this has been happening for the hundred years that committees have been allowed to run golf clubs and run their own golf clubs. It's why we've got this proliferation of trees everywhere that clubs are now spending fortunes having arborists come in and look at and try to take out. Because someone said, oh, this is a bit open. Let's put some trees in there. Any kind of trees? No, anything will do. Just stick any old thing in. There's this sort of classic kind of cliche about captains taking out trees that are just off to the left of a a problematic hole for them because they had a big cut. But I think that there is there is kind of a pretty dangerous extension of that where people will start getting to sort of influential positions at golf club and start dictating what doesn't doesn't happen on the golf course with literally no expertise. Like I understand, like if you're on a committee and you kind of you want to um, have one eye on the budget and you're trying to sort of balance expenditure and the views of all members, but just stay away from what should be happening on the golf course. Just instruct an expert and let them get on with it. 
I, I do think that this is much less of an issue than perhaps it was um, a decade, two decades, three decades ago, because a lot of clubs now have five-year plans and long-term plans in place to counter this exact thing. You know, a, 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 a member that wants to come in and sort of a captain that wants to come in and make their mark. Yeah, I think the exact. I think the exact opposite. I think. I think it's much worse for a problem now because these days we've never had more information. We've never had less knowledge. We're all one Google away from being an expert on a topic. And I absolutely include myself in this. Is that if if you decide if you were so if you were so minded you could go and have a quick cursory look around on Google, come up with some golf architecture cliches or terms and all of a sudden present yourself as an expert and I think that is much more prevalent than you think I, th- I think when it comes to sort of course design I'm not I'm not sure you, you you'd know more than me I, I will agree with you when it comes to things that run across our business for example I mean I, I definitely I've definitely had people say to me you know when I've explained what we do with websites and video and photography and things like that I've definitely had people say to me oh we've got a member who'll do that yeah yeah yeah. Which is invariably not great because we are experts in it. They are the, not. And the same the same applies to golf lessons, which is another thing that came up where people will say, Oh, I've been talking to my mate Dave and he says I need to strengthen my left hand grip a little bit and that'll stop me fading it. Um like why 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 do we why why is golf like this? Why does it sort of dismiss expert opinion like so readily? It's quite it is quite a peculiar thing. Um, another quite good one, which is like apropos of absolutely nothing, is that um, Jack was saying, uh, who's our in-house pro, that someone once turned up at a golf club he was working at um, 10 minutes before a shotgun start in a corporate day and asked if he could have a quick golf lesson because he'd literally never played before. Well, that's well, not much you can do there, is there? <laughs> pretty did, amazing, isn't it? Did Jack take his money, though? No, he said no, apparently. Oh, he's a man like of in, he's a man of integrity. That back house, isn't he? It's the, it's the equivalent of turning up at the start of a marathon and saying, "Has anyone got any trainers?" Like, sort of, like, sort of fundamental things. Am I going to accept this invitation to a corporate golf day? Like, the decision tree is: Do I play golf? Yes or no. If the answer is no, then you're not going. Pretty amazing. Uh, anyway, I thought. Anyway, the whole point of that debate was: I think we should probably get. Um, we need to get a club pro on or a general manager on and talk about some of this stuff because I think this, there's some absolute jaffers in club life that we are yet to uncover fully. The secret club pro, or should we just invite John? Since John's been about, he, he's he's been a club pro since I mean, I, I, since I was a small boy, probably. Yeah, John's too discreet. We need someone uh. less discreet. Uh, anyway, right, the moment has arrived, Steve. Oh, no. I want to move on to the rules section. What I'd like us to do is talk about a couple of the rules things that I was scratching my head about at this week's PGA Championship. But before then, I would like to put your credentials as a rules expert to the test with a rule that I have just discovered, but I did not know the answer to. Are you ready? No, but it's not going to stop you anyway, is it? During competition play... Can course maintenance take place that affects the playing area? So it's not actually in the rules of golf; it's in the committee procedures. Um, the example, the answer is it. It really shouldn't, but 
sometimes it's unavoidable. Well, John Green says it's rule 6.1b. Is it? You can look it up, aren't you? you, look uh, it up, well, aren't you? I am going to look it up now. You're going to make me move around. So he says, he says that when a competition's happening, then greenkeepers are more than happy to... They can mow the greens, they can seed the greens, they can fertilise the greens. They can, they can get on as much as they want. You can move flags because sometimes you need to move flags. So as in if it's too windy or if there's been a particular spot that's flooded, so you might want to move the flag to a higher point. Uh, so apparently it is allowed. Yeah, it is allowed. I just told you it was. Um, but it's not But it's not 6.1b because um, I didn't think it was because that's 6.1b is ball must be played from inside teeing area. Oh, I could, um, if you'd given me the opportunity, uh, <laughs> actually have got the bit in the um, committee procedures. Can you see how I'm stalling to find the bit in the committee procedures? I can. Yeah, um, I feel like I should play a tune while we wait. Yeah, well, this is actually done. So um, this is uh, the course, course maintenance during round. While it's preferable to have all maintenance on the course completed before the first group reaches each hole to make sure all players play the course in the same condition, this is sometimes not possible. Where course maintenance, such as the cutting of putting greens, fairways or rough, or the raking of bunkers takes place during a round, the results of the competition stand as played. While the committee should attempt to mark all areas that warrant being marked as ground under repair before the comp begins, there will be some times when areas are not noticed until play has begun and so on. The committee may decide to mark those areas as ground under repair. Um, in fairness to John, um, I think you, I think you've sold him a puppy there because the rule he's talking about in the uh, the section in the committee procedures he's talking about is six B one. Ah, there we go. So he said it had a six in it and a B in it. So it was me that invented the point one. It, it was so, you who invented rule six point one B. Do you know what I think? I think that is. That is a helpful thing to know. So it sort of came up because some people have been in moaning saying that the greens have been watered halfway around in their competition. They weren't happy about it because people had a different experience. But that that is uh, that is interesting because I can see that happening quite a lot and I can see people being very disgruntled about it when, in fact, it's perfectly legit. The, the, the one that at Sandburn that used to come up quite a bit was when um, in late September, uh, the rough, the fescue can get up a bit and then the greenkeepers, they, they would like, I think they would hire a particular machine that would then cut the rough down. And very occasionally, this might happen during a competition where some players would have rough and other players would not have rough. Um, but the course maintenance was unavoidable, so the results of the competition could still stand. So I said I didn't know the answer, but I did know the answer, didn't I? That was that was very impressive. And very I knew impressive. where to, and I knew where to find it, which is I think the thing. That- that was uh, probably the most impressive bit that you managed to get your book, find the thing, and do all of that without any break in continuity. It was amazing. It just obviously so, got stalling. So, what was going on with that um, ball over the hole at the, in the PGA Champs this weekend? What was the name of the player? I forget the name of the player. Uh, so have I now, and I wrote about it. But anyway, the, 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 it doesn't because. Because the rule that you were talking about was um, the ball was overhanging the hole. Player had so ten I, seconds to get there, and so that's the first thing. So the didn't first, have, sorry, I've said that wrong. But carry on, and I'll well, correct I thought, it. I thought the rule was prior to the weekend 
that if your ball was overhanging the lip and you thought it might drop in, then you had 30 seconds once you'd got to the hole. No. Has that ever been the rule? No. Okay. Not under the new rules. I mean, I can't I can't say pre-2019 because I didn't know much about the rules then, but since 2019, this rule's been the same. Okay. I'm going to file that under rose-tinted testicles then, something I've misremembered. So, so the rule is that... If any part of a player's ball overhangs the lip of the hole, this is rule 13.3a, player is allowed a reasonable time to reach the hole and 10 more seconds to wait to see whether the ball will fall into the hole. Right. But then there's this sort of oddity where the ball's oscillating. So then originally he was penalised for hitting a moving ball, wasn't he? No. He wasn't, he wasn't penalised at all for hitting a moving ball. So... Rule 13.3a also says, if the ball does not fall into the hole in this waiting time, the ball is treated as being at rest. If the ball then falls into the hole before it is played, the player is holed out with the previous stroke, but gets one penalty stroke added to the score for the hole. So basically what happens is, once those ten, once you've had your reasonable time to get to the hole, once you've got to the hole and waited your 10 seconds, if the ball hasn't dropped in, it is treated as being at rest. Doesn't matter if it's oscillating, doesn't matter if it's moving, doesn't matter if it's circling the hole. Um, once that 10 seconds has passed and it hasn't dropped into the hole, the ball is treated as being at rest. That was the part of this rule that a lot of people didn't understand. They understood the 10 seconds. They just said, well, the ball's still oscillating. It's still, and then it obviously falls in. So it's clearly still moving. The point is, it doesn't matter under the rule. Once the 10 second waiting time has elapsed, the ball is considered to be at rest. And the penalty it, it is a penalty stroke as such, um, but you don't have to then like get the ball out in this circumstance. You don't have to get the ball out, put it back on the hole and like pop it in. Um, the ball, the player has holed out with a previous stroke, but they just get one penalty stroke added to the score for the hole for it dropping after the 10 seconds. Does that make sense? It does, yeah. So if it drops within the 10 seconds, it's just, there's no penalty and it's just a shot before. If it drops after 10 seconds, you get a penalty. If it doesn't drop, you hit it and there's no penalty. Right. Pretty clear. And then the other one. So what? I, so how have I got my head wrong with that then? I guess I've just, what I've done is sort of read a few tweets and people saying, oh, he should get penalised for hitting a moving ball. He never was. It was just armchair Twitter is saying he should do. Yeah, but I mean, okay. to be fair, to be fair to those people, if if you didn't know, and this is why I think it's really good for players, particularly because this 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 comes up a bit. You know, it's not an unusual situation a ball overhanging the hole. It happens quite a lot in tour events, and it'll definitely happen quite a lot in club events. So it's a really interesting rule and a worthwhile rule to know but if you didn't know the rule you would think this ball is moving and 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 you would know that you're not allowed to hit a moving ball but the provisions of this rule make it make it slightly different i mean yeah other things that people talk about are well what's a reasonable time to reach the hole because there's that caveat isn't there um you're allowed a reasonable time to get to the hole first and then your 10 seconds begins um and there's a clarification to Rule 13.3a, which is in the big official guide to the rules of golf. You can buy that guide by clicking on one of our rules pieces and popping on the link. Um, if you're really into your rules, it, it is really worth buying it, it because there's all sorts of little nuggets in there that um, will blow your mind. Um, but in that clarification, 
they, they basically say that um, the circumstances of the stroke, uh, sorry, it says that determining the limits of a reasonable time to reach the hull depends on the circumstances of the stroke and includes time for a player's natural or spontaneous reaction to the ball not going into the hull. There's an example that they give, which if you don't mind me quoting, says a player might have played a shot from well off the putting green, for example. It might take them quite a while to get to the hull that could include other players playing their shots before everyone walks to the green. If Only when you get there, only when you get to the ball at the hole, does the 10 seconds begin. Got you. But you can't, you can't like, take the mick. You can't just, like, stand around guffawing, like, throwing a paddy because your ball's not gone into the hole, wasting as much time as possible, and then you get there and you go, right, the 10 seconds begin. It's, it's what's a reasonable time. People do. Re- people reckon that um, if you cast a shadow over the ball, it increases the chance of dropping, don't you? Which I always just think is uh, one of those um, coincidence rather than causation things because it would have dropped anyway. It's just your shadow is obviously over the hole because you're next to the ball now. It's an absolute etiquette no-no for other people to have their shadow over the hole as well, isn't it? Is it? Oh, yeah. People get very upset about that. Really? Um, that's an interesting one. And then the other one was this um, freak thing about the embedded ball in the same bunker, basically in the same spot. Um, and I really would like some um, clarification on the embedded ball because I've, I'm so confused about it. I've been for a long time about embedded balls full stop. So does it make a difference whether a ball's embedded in the rough or the face of a bunker or what? Um, so, no. Um, but it depends what you're classing as a bunker. So... No, so, if the, so in the face of the bunker. So is the is the face of the bunker counted as part of the hazard, or is it just part of through the green? So I'm shaking my head here, um, which is never good on a podcast. And you should really have a look at a diagram um, on the uh, RNA's website on the rules of golf because it very specifically tells you what's in a bunker and what's not in a bunker. And um, what they say is it's rule twelve point one says. Um, that a ball is in a bunker when any part of the ball touches sand on the ground inside the edge of the bunker or is inside the edge of the bunker and rests on ground where sand would normally be. Um, So the wall or face of the bunker is not part of the bunker and is therefore part of the general area. Now, you're going to ask me a lot of questions about embedded ball, um, which is fine. I, I should put the caveat in there that some clubs, as part of a local rule, do not do not give you um, embedded ball relief for stacked turf faces. This is the case in the Open Championship, for example. So if you saw a ball embedded in a stacked turf face in the Open, it's very unlikely the player would be able to get relief for that because it's usually a local rule that says otherwise. But normally speaking, at like 99.5% of your golf clubs, if your ball is embedded in the wall or the face of a bunker, you would be able to take embedded ball relief from it. Now right. fire fire away with your other embedded ball questions. Well, so there's 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 no penalty for what Hovland did on Sunday, right? So he's moving no. it out of the embedded thing. Yeah. So if you if you've got a very steep face and you can't like get the ball to stay on the steep face without putting it back in its embed, what what how do you proceed? You find the new. So basically, you 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 end. There's a convoluted. Uh, 
procedure around it. So you end up, um, for an embedded ball, you end up basically finding the spot that's immediately behind the ball, spot that's right behind the ball, it's in the general area, and then you drop. Now, what you're going to say to me there is, it's not going to stay where it is. So you then drop again, and then you, if it still won't stay where it is, you try and place it. Now, what you're going to say to me there is, well, what if it doesn't stay in place? And what you end up doing is you end up finding the nearest spot where the ball will stay at rest. Got you. What if that nearest spot is like in the fairway, basically? doesn't matter. It's fairway's part of the general area. Right. So it could actually be quite advantageous to sort of know that rule properly. So what if your ball is just, if you're playing and there's no winter rules in place and it's a summer's day, but your ball plugs in the rough, what happens then? The rough's part of the general area. Okay, so so again, it's free relief. Free relief. I mean, there are various local rules depending on the circumstances that clubs can utilise, but but 16.3b in its purest sense um, allows relief for a ball that's embedded in the general area. And the general area is everywhere that is not the putting green, the teeing area in which you're playing, penalty area or bunker. It's everywhere. It applies to everywhere else. Um, I mean, I think that's worth knowing. I've never really understood. So it's basically free relief from a plug lie wherever. There you go. My bad. I, I have actually written about this in a piece that is soon to be released um, because of the Hovland Corey Connors situation. There was one question that I thought you might ask me that you didn't ask me. Um, I'm trying to find the clarification for it because it's a new clarification this year. And is what happens if your ball is embedded, um, say, for example, in the wall or face of a bunker and the point behind it? Um, is not in the general area. So how do you take embedded ball relief when the spot immediately behind the ball is not in the general area? This happens a lot in bunkers. You know, your, bunk, you, you, your ball can be right under the lip of a bunker and the spot immediately below it is sand, right? There's a new clarification of the new rules which requires the player to find the nearest spot in the general area that's not nearer the hole. And that spot then becomes the reference point for establishing a relief area now you would think that that spot would normally be like really really close to where the ball was originally embedded but if you think about a bunker like when it embeds in the wall or face right above a bunker that actually could be as you say a distance away um but the new clarification allows for that right it's pretty amazing i think that these tour events like how almost every weekend or something isn't there which sort of shows you how much we probably all are breaking the rules or misinterpreting the rules, whatever, in our in our own regular golf. It's a bit of a funny thing. I mean, I mean, it's a tough situation, Tom, because I mean, it's great for me. I've spent years, three or four years now, in the rule book through work and obviously through refereeing and then through revising, and I've got the official guide to the rules of golf in my hands, which is great. But it, you know, it is a five hundred and twenty-five page book. You know, it's, I mean, I know where these things are. I don't know them off by heart. And it may well be that I've made some fraction, uh, some fractional inaccuracies um, in, in what you've been asking me because I've been struggling. You know, I've been like looking in the rule book to find out where they are. Um, 
I, I think it's reasonable for club golfers to make more of an effort to learn the rules, but I do think it's a bit of an ask to expect a club golfer to know their know the ins and outs of a two hundred and twenty five page rule book or the five hundred and twenty five page or so official guide to the rules of golf. So what I would say in these circumstances is if you're in any way nervous about what you're doing on the golf course, just ask the committee. And in stroke yeah, yeah. and in stroke play, if you're nervous and you don't think that you're doing the right thing, you've always got the option to play two balls. You have to choose which ball counts, but but that option is there. I'd much prefer people to do that and try and find an answer than have agreement among their playing partners and then decide upon a course of action because in the rules of golf in stroke play, there's no right to decide rules by agreement. So if you mess that up and then come in and talk to your committee afterwards and your committee go, oh, hang on, I'm not sure that's right, then you're going to be in a bit of trouble. Um, that was brilliant. So what have you got coming up? Anything exciting planned? Uh, well, we're playing at Moortown on Friday. That'll be good. Mm, so we are. Uh, Clyde will... Johnson's renovation of the fifth. I'm looking forward to seeing that. I haven't seen that yet. It's massively impressive. I have I have seen a bit of it. It looks incredible. Um, they've taken what was, am I allowed to say this? Um, they've they've taken what was a not great looking hole and they've made it into something really really cool. I have mean, you they, seen they, already, they, have you? yeah, yeah. The elements of the hole were always there, um, but it, for those who've never played Motown, it's like a it's like a short par four, dog legs really sharply if you play it the conventional way, or you can try and cut off as much of the corner as possible. There's a, like a pond, like a like a brook that runs in between. And prior to Clyde's renovation, there was a lot of the best way to put it is foliage. Um, people may use less complimentary words, but foliage is probably the best way to put it. And it really took out the long shot. You ended up and you ended up playing like a mid iron to then play a mid iron into the green. Whereas what they've done now, I mean, it'd be really cool to see it on Friday because I saw it months ago um, when it was basically at its level. But it feels like that whole area where the rubbish was is now going to be like filled with heather and stuff like that. And it's going to be it's it's going to be really special. And now there's a real risk reward element to trying to cut off as much of the corner as possible whereas previously it was just i mean i used to just hit seven iron six iron yeah yeah it used to be it used to be very telly and now it's got some options i'm probably looking forward to seeing that right anything else uh then we've got uh my first trophy event at york on saturday so with any luck i'll be after a general play round on friday i might be toting another shot i've got another counting round coming off on friday i'll Eight be like I'll be the committee will be like sending me messages saying, "Why are you playing loads of general play rounds straight before a competition when oh, you've yeah. never played general play rounds in the entirety of the time you've been at the club?" That's exactly what will happen. Um, so I've got I've, I've got a, a four ball better comp, ball comp on Saturday. I have also entered open qualifying. I have also entered the international series qualifying at Close House. Are you going to see if I can get my see if I can get myself on the live tour? You're going to mix it up with the big boys. I don't know about that. Anyway, so I'm doing that. So I'm going to try and keep uh, keep practicing, keep my game in shape. That was brilliant. I enjoyed that, Steve. It was fun. Um, we've got some good guests coming up. Uh, we're working on a very special guest, and we've got a uh, conversation with James Bledge, who's the course manager at Hoylake, uh, that we're recording shortly uh, to put out ahead of the Open. Um so there's some good stuff coming on up on the from the Clubhouse podcast. Uh, enjoy your golf. 
please give us a subscribe on Apple or Google or Android. See you next week. Cheers, Tom. Bye, Steve.